Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. Like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away. For they cannot be taken with the hand. The man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray, and then we can jump in this morning. God, we love you, and we love your word. So, God, we ask nothing new than we ask each week. You open our eyes. May we see you in this text. Speak to our hearts this morning. God, you are here and you are welcome here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So it read David's last words. I just got to come right out of the gate and tell you it's not literally David's last words. We are going to do a two-part series on David's last words, although we won't do it next Sunday. We'll do it two Sundays from now. We'll look at some, some more literal words uh, that David spoke later in, uh, on his last days of his life. This, this is... This is titled David's Last Words, and I, got, I, I was going down a rabbit trail. I'm like, okay, let, what, 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 were some, what were some like really important people? Like what were some of their last words, some famous people? It's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. I spent way too much time on this, but I won't drag you into all of it. It was Leonardo da Vinci who says his famous last words were, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. <laughs> May we all aspire to that standard. It was Winston Churchill who his last words on his deathbed were, I'm bored with it all. <laughs> and then there was a Mexican revolutionary, Pancho Villa. He says, this is, this is pretty amusing. He says, don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something important. <laughs> well, David did say something important. And the Holy Spirit breathed it out. And I want us to take... A look at this this morning. So what, what the Bible is saying when it's saying this is David's last words, these are, these are, his, these are his last formal words. This is sort of his last song that he's going to write 
And essentially what, what we want to get out of this is David is saying, listen, here is sort of, so if you go to uh, Ecclesiastes, the very, a, a similar uh, flavor of what this is, is when in Ecclesiastes it says, uh, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. This is kind of what David's doing in his song, his final song. He's 70 years old when he writes this. And this song gives us some really, really, really good news. Turns out, hidden in this song is the greatest news that you're ever going to hear in your life. Now how? How is it great news? Well, before we get to it, sometimes we have to look at what's bad and some bad news to really understand and see the beauty of the good news. Now, we all know this, but sometimes we just rather not talk about it. But let's look at our current reality and let's talk a little bit about bad news. Oh, I don't know. Maybe let's start with suicide rates being higher than they've ever been in the history of this country. Addiction. Throughout the, it's astronomical. We have sex trafficking. We have sexual abuse all over the world. It's It's insane. Genocide taking place in the womb. It's insane. It's dark. And we have to call it what it is if that's not enough. How about let's talk about sickness. Cancer's probably affected every single person in this room. If it's not cancer, it's dementia. If it's not cancer, dementia. It's heart disease. This is our reality. It's dark and it's bad news. And we all know that something is wrong. We all know it. And then we can ask the question, will this ever be made right? Of course, we're the people of God. We know the answer to this. Of course, it will be made right. And David, thousands of years ago, actually tells us how this will be made right. And if there's something that I would love for you to start doing, Hill City Church, followers of Jesus, as you read the Bible, specifically as you read your Old Testament, I want you to see Jesus there. Imagine if Jesus is looking over our shoulders as we read the Old Testament. There would be times where he would just whisper in our ear and he would go, hey, there I am. Did you read read that sentence? There I am. He does this here. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible and he's all over it. So what David's going to do in this last song, he's going to take us on a journey. And I want us all to take this journey with him today. What he's going to do, he's going to start out by speaking about his true identity. And then he's going to look to the future. This is a prophetic word from David. But then he's going to look to the past. And then he's going to come back to the future. And at the end of this journey, without question, we will arrive at the feet of our king. Will you take the journey with me? Come with me as we go with David in his last song in this journey. Verse 1, he starts with his identity. These are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse. Listen, and what he's saying by just saying the son of Jesse, he's basically saying, I'm David, I'm a nobody. I came from nothing. I'm a nobody. He didn't come from a line of kings. He didn't come from royalty. He was a nobody, but he didn't stop there. The man who was raised on high, anointed of the God 
of Jacob. So he starts off by saying, I was a nobody. But then what happened is then I was called out. I was chosen. I was was brought on high. You can go back. You remember what we said when David was anointed. It said that the spirit rushed upon him. He finishes by saying, I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel. In other words, he's saying, I was the favorite of all the songs of Israel. In other words, he started with, I was nobody. God then called me up. He anointed me. And then by saying I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel, he's saying now I actually was made somebody. And he starts with his identity in verse 1. Now the question you got to ask, was David being dishonest? Because we're just coming off of sermons here. He's like, wait a minute, we know this guy. Like we really know this guy. We know what he did. Was he being dishonest. He didn't say anything about his darkest days. He didn't say anything about his horrible sins. And we know about those. Yeah, he did too. But it wasn't his identity. That wasn't David's identity. Why? Because David believed that the same God that called him from the pasture when he had a a, he was covered in dirt and, and, and dung and gross, and he was this insignificant son out in the field. The same God that called him from that, the same God that delivered him from Goliath, the same God that defeated all of his enemies in battle. He believed that same God was powerful enough to find him in his darkest moment and call him out of his shame and redeem his God-given identity. David believed that God indeed give, gave him what he asked for in that prayer of repentance, which is Psalm 51, when David goes to God and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. He believed God answered that prayer. That's how when he was 70 years old, he could write this. He wasn't being dishonest. He was telling you who he was because of what God did in his life. Hill City Church, who are you? So let's step out of the text. Who are you? Let me help you. Romans 5 says, therefore, as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death passed unto all men, for all have sinned. So let's start there. There's your son of Jesse. We are born sinners. We are born into darkness. But if you're following Jesus here this morning, there are countless scriptures that you can go to. And you can put your confidence in the same place that David put his. Maybe let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, 5, and 6. By grace you have been saved. And he, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Wait a minute, that sounds very similar to what David said. Wait a minute, I was, I was raised up on high. Well, so are you when God called you out. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 1 John 2, 27, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. 
wait a minute, David said I was the anointed. If you're following Jesus, so are you. So David, he starts with who he was, but then he went to who God made him to be. And listen, this is what we must do as well. So David starts with his identity. And he's not dishonest about it. You know your darkest days. David knew his darkest days. You can still have confidence in God to speak your true identity in Christ. What David said of himself, you can say of you. So David starts with that identity. Then he says, now, this is who I am. God Almighty gave me something to say. And then he takes us to the future. But first, he, he, he's, he's very clear. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me in verse 2. His word is on my tongue. The beginning of verse 3. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. So like multiple times, he, he, gives, he, he gives us a, a reason to pay attention. God has something to say. He's going to use me to say it. God has something to say. Okay, are we all ears? I know we're tired. Just, I just, one of these, I'm going to ask him for verbal, just something like this. Are we all ears? Okay. So David wasn't just a king. David was also a prophet. When he says this, we need to pay attention. Hebrews 1, we did a series in Hebrews a while back. Hebrews 1 said, man, in times past, God spoke to us, right? Through the fathers, through prophets. He's talking, David was one of those, right? Peter's preaching in Acts, you guys can look it up, in Acts chapter 2. I'll read just a quick verse. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. Okay, that's who we're talking about, right? He was died and is buried, his tomb's with us today, being therefore a prophet. Peter says, hey, David, our patriarch, he was a prophet, this is what verse 30 of Acts 2 says. Knowing that God had sworn an oath with him, he foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Now, he did it in multiple places. But what we see today in this last song, he foresaw. We see Jesus all over this. Let's pay attention to what David says. Let's look to the future. He said, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. This is the future. This idea of ruling over men. Now you think, yeah, David's a king. That's what he did. Except for that word men is actually uh, better translated ruling over humanity. David didn't rule over all humanity. He ruled over Israel. So right then, man, we're talking about something bigger than just the king of Israel. But then it says, one who rules justly over humanity, in the fear of the Lord. Now you go, did David do this? Did David rule justly in the fear of the Lord? And maybe in one hand, we're like, well, yeah, he, he was God's king. Well, let's ask Uriah. Did David rule justly? Uriah might have something to say about that. Those other men who died on the battlefield that, as David was trying to have Uriah murdered, they might have something to say about that. that so this is bigger than David. 
And it's Jesus looking it over our shoulder as we read. The one who rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. And Jesus goes, there I am. When that happens, he dawns on them like morning, like, like sun shining forth, like rain that makes the grass grow. Jesus goes, hey, there I am. The one who spoke the world into existence, the one who was there at creation, the one who came over and over and over again and said, I'm not coming here to do what I want to do. I come to do the will of my Father. When Jesus came and he did his work on earth, he was doing it in the fear of the Lord. He did the will of his Father. He told us this countless times. These verses that we just read these about the future, they are packed with hope. And of these things, we can absolutely be certain. What things? Verse 3 and 4. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of the Lord, he dawns on them like morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. This will happen. And you need to know this has never happened. You go to anyone who's ever ruled on this planet, you cannot say of them, they ruled perfectly just in the fear of the Lord at all times. It cannot be said. But David's saying, you can be certain this will happen. So now, let's talk. Let's just talk about this word certain. Let's talk about certainty. And specifically, let's talk about Kingdom certainty, which David gives us. But before we do that, let's talk about circumstantial certainty, which, if you're like me, you can tend to slip into. What do you mean, Brad? That means we look at our circumstances, we look at what's going on around us, and we become certain, so certain of things based off what's going on in our lives, based off what's going on in the world. It's called, and I call it circumstantial certainty, where we can go to God's word and we know that there's kingdom certainty. So what do you, let's just get real, listen, I do this a lot, probably won't ever stop. We're just going to go straight to the lives of the people of Hill City. Kingdom certainty. When we go to the doctor and we get that first ultrasound, it's so exciting. We get that picture. Oh, that's e like oh, kingdom certainty. Oh, but then we go back for that second visit. Listen, I, I, I'm just telling you right now. At least once a month in this church, I get this. It's miscarriage. That is so common. And what can happen is we can slip into circumstantial certainty and go, see, where's God? Oh, I knew God was here when we got the picture. New job, new city. Oh, it's exciting. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you provided. It's awesome. Oh, three weeks, four weeks. Three months, four months in. Springfield's the loneliest place I've ever been on the planet. Oh, wait a minute. 
Where, where are you, Lord? And we slip into circumstantial certainty. Well, I'm certain that this is going on around me and it stinks. No, no, let's go back to God's word. And let's look at kingdom certainty. I, I went down another rabbit trail and I just want to share this. I, I like, I just kind of, I'm entertained by some things, you know, history, right? And I like looking uh, World War II stuff and, and Germany and all that. So I'm sure most of you know this. I didn't, I didn't know this until the last two weeks, okay? A uh, young lady by the name of Sophie Scholl. She's a German college student. She was active in a nonviolent uh, resistance group in Nazi Germany called the White Rose. And she was convicted of high treason. And what did she do? She dispersed leaflets on the uh, University of Munich. And on these leaflets were just uh, a lot of Bible verses and some other uh, uh, just some things written that opposed the war and what was saying that, hey, Hitler is, is, is wrong. And she wouldn't back down. She said, I'd do it all again if I had another chance as she stands before her fate. But she has this quote, and I'm like, man, that's some kingdom certainty right there. I hope to be able to say this when the circumstances around me are not good, that I can go, you know what, I've, I've seen in Scripture, David said this was going to happen. Jesus said this was going to happen. I'm going to trust in this. And, and her, her quote was this, I will cling to the rope God has thrown me in Jesus Christ even when my numb hands can no longer feel it. That's kingdom certainty. And right after that, she had her head chopped off. And she was like 23 years old. He said, this is coming. When this happens and one rules justly over humanity, he dawns on them like morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout. Can you just read... Can you just go with me here? Just go with this. I want to go to there. Like morning light. I love the mornings. I love going on my back deck, drinking coffee, watching sun. I love the mornings. What's David saying here? He's a poet. What's he, what's he really trying to say? He's speaking to peace. He's speaking to beauty. He's speaking to stillness. He's speaking to growth. He's speaking about warmth. What that means is he's speaking about life and flourishing. What he's really speaking of is all that humanity truly longs for. And what we know is that all that humanity truly longs for is found in Jesus Christ. What you are truly longing for at the depths of your heart is to be fully human in the kingdom that you were created for, and it's all found in Jesus Christ, our King. Do you hear this? Do you hear that poetry? It takes us straight back to the garden before sin ruined everything. That's where we were designed to be. And David says, one day this will happen again. And Jesus says, there I am. There I am in, in, in 2 Samuel. I'm right there in that song. 
There's the future. David then takes us to the past, and he's saying, as certain as David was the king, as certain as I'm king, as as God delivered me, I'm telling you this is going to happen. And verse 5 takes us to the past. For does not my house stand with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. I love that word. Just circle it. Highlight that thing. Secure. David looks at his reign. That's what he's doing. He looks at his reign, and he says, God did that. And just as sure as God did that, he's going to do what I just wrote about in verse 4. David's confidence is in the Lord. I hope you can see his confidence. I hope you can hear it. An everlasting covenant. And David knew his own horrible sin. Listen, he lost a child. Parents don't forget that. And then he lost another one later, by the way. They don't forget that he knew his horrible sin. He knew the consequences of that. But does he sit and wonder? Does God still love me? Did did God abandon me? I mean, because of that, surely God would not honor his word and honor his covenant. Like, that's too bad. No, no, no. You don't hear any of that in David's last song. David did not write in his last song, well, I gave it my best shot. You know, I, kinda, I screwed it up. I made a huge mistake. I screwed it up. God moved on from me. That's nowhere here. But here's something else that doesn't exist in David's last song either. He doesn't write, I'm awesome. He doesn't like write, I kinged so hard. I did it. His confidence was in God. Don't miss that here. It is God who made that covenant with him. It's God who honored that covenant. He did remember his sin, but he even remembered more the words of Nathan from God that said, your sin is forgiven. And God didn't choose to make a covenant with David because David was awesome. God didn't keep his covenant with David because David was awesome. That's a great lesson for us. I hope your confidence this morning, Hill City, is in God and what God did. He didn't save you because you were awesome, and he doesn't keep you saved because you come to church all the time. God saved you because he is awesome, and he keeps you saved because he is awesome. Hold on to that. Put your confidence in that. Then David takes us back to the future. Now this seems dark, but it's maybe not as dark as we think. Let's go back to the future. But worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of the spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. You're like, oh no, Brad, I just started coming to this church. I hear that fire. What are you going to start talking about? Listen, we believe in hell here. We believe in eternal separation from the king, and it's not good. Okay, so let's just go there. We believe in that. But what, what do we see here? Oh, some of you are going to hate this. Okay. But I'll unpack it. This kingdom, David is telling us, hey, this kingdom is sure. It's sure as that I had a kingdom, this kingdom is going to happen. And here's what you need to know. This kingdom is exclusive. dare you this isn't a safe place 
use that word, I'm being facetious, smile. Hey, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. What do you mean this kingdom is exclusive, Brad? This word, worthless men, actually, it, it, the, the, the Hebrew doesn't say worthless men. The word is worthlessness, and it's added to sort of make more sense to us in our English, but it literally means worthlessness. And what is the Bible saying? What is David saying? He's saying to oppose the king of kings or to pursue anything outside of what he would have for us is worthlessness. What might that be for you, Phil City? His kingdom is exclusive to those who will bow their knee before him. You see how that works? You, listen, and the Bible tells every knee will bow and every tongue will confess this one day. You say, Brad, this fire thing, David tells us that the king's going to purge those who want no part of his righteous reign. That's what he just told us. The king will purge those. If you don't want any part of his reign, and you're like, that's Old Testament. Like, come on. That's Old Testament. I told our college, I told Salt this one Thursday. I said, there's, there's what I call a silly boys club out there. And I'm not apologizing for this. There's a silly boys club. And the silly boys club are out there preaching that we should unhitch our wagons from the Old Testament. Silly boys. Silly boys say that. This is Jesus' Bible. We're not unhitching our wagons from Jesus' Bible. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. So if you hear any silly boys telling you to unhook your wagons from the Old Testament, run from those silly boys. Okay? That was not even in my notes. You say, Brad, that's Old Testament. This fire stuff, this purging. Well, let's go to Matthew. I'm just going to turn there. I got a couple spots. Um, but this is our king talking. This is John the Baptist talking about our king. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Yeah, that's just one time. That was John the Baptist. Well, let's, let's just stay in Matthew. Let's go over to chapter 13. Look at the parable of the sower. This is our king talking. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in the bundles to be burned, but then you gather the wheat into my barn. So here's what I can tell you this morning, Hill City. We can listen to David, or we can listen to Jesus. They're saying the exact same thing. I'd recommend we listen to both. If you're serving communion, I want you to come forward. So, Brad, that's kind of messed up. I didn't think I was at a church that talked about this kind of stuff. No, listen to me. Take a breath with me. Everybody here, you ready? Let's inhale. Exhale. That is the grace of God. 
And maybe you've never bowed your knee before this king, but for whatever reason, because God is so awesome, he allowed you to wake up and he put breath in your lungs this morning. And it's really good news that you have breath because it's with that breath that you can confess that Jesus is king. You still have a chance. That's really good news. And what David wrote in his last song, listen, it came to be in the King of Kings, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our King. But just so you don't know that, like verse 6 and 7 isn't just some saying, hey, this is like super dark and this is kind of a scary thing. I'm not trying to do that. See, Jesus, without a doubt, he makes everything happen that we read about in verse 4. Dawns on them like morning light. He's like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. He's like the rain that makes the grass sprout from the earth. Jesus does all that, but how is he able to do that? How is he able to accomplish that? But worthlessness are like thorns that are thrown away. Jesus became worthlessness so that you and I would no longer be worthless. Here's how 2 Corinthians words it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became worthlessness on the cross. He became sin and he took every drop He was fully consumed by God's wrath on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to be. That's really, really good news. Stand with me. See, Jesus isn't just looking over our shoulder. And as we read the Old Testament, he's not just whispering, hey, there I am. There I am. There I am. Even this morning, he whispers, here I am. This is what we celebrate when we come to the table. There'll be stations under each light right here. We have two stations in the aisle. Back third of the room, you'll go to the back station, middle to the middle. Front, you can come up to the front stations. This is how we flourish Jesus made a way for us to flourish. There will be bread. It will be torn. Just representing the body of our king that did not deserve to be torn. It will be dipped into a cup representing the blood of our king that did not deserve to be shed. And what I want Hill City, if you're following Jesus, this is a meal for you. If you're not following Jesus, this is a meal that is for believers. And what I want believers to do. I want us to come to the table with hearts of thankfulness. This kingdom is certain. He will make all things right. We can celebrate that by coming to the table. Let's eat.